Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick, your host, and Kirstie Miles is joining me again today. Hey, Kirstie. Hi, how are you? Good. So today on our podcast, we are actually going to answer a question that we often get in interviews. Here at PDT, Kirstie and I are always doing interviews. We're always talking to different people and interviewing just because we are always looking for the right who, meaning that the right person and why they are therapists and their general mission and what they want for themselves in a therapy career matches with PDTs and kind of what we're about. So as a result, Kirsten and I always do interviews and we always have the opportunity to talk to lots of people. And often in interviews, people ask us the same question. What are you looking for in a candidate? And so this podcast is actually coming out of that question. So Kirsten and I have identified three areas of improvement that can help move any therapist from being a good therapist to being a great therapist. We'll be exploring these three areas in a three-part podcast series called Moving from Good to Great. So when we do interviews, we're actually looking for great therapists. We have great therapists at PDT. They do a phenomenal job with all of our little people coming here for therapy and our families and stuff. We hire great therapists. We're looking for great therapists. So when somebody says, hey, what are you looking for in a candidate? Our answer usually revolves around what makes a great therapist. So when you're thinking about being a great therapist, we're going to define it over the course of the next three podcasts. So when we get asked that question about what are we looking for in a candidate, I think the answer is very much about what we believe and what we work with therapists is never settle. So we don't want to settle through the hiring process. We don't want therapists to settle for just taking a position. So again, it all fits our why. Does it match the candidate's why? And then moving into the not settling and let's hire good people and help them become a great therapist. And there are some fundamental things, whether it's talking about therapy related, which it will tie into therapy, but just life. And that's what my Aunt Grace used to always say, never settle words to live by. And you know, if you think about it, we shouldn't settle in therapy. If we're not there yet with whatever we're working on with the child, then we're just not there yet. So don't settle. Let's hoe this to the end of the road. Same thing with a therapist. Therapists, like you said, shouldn't settle and we certainly don't want to either. So these little people and these families are counting on us. So that's what we do. So a couple of concepts as we sort of introduce this podcast, these next three podcasts, but especially this first one is, you know, professionalism is going to sort of be a concept that you're going to hear throughout all these podcasts, but professionalism and your contact and this first one, we're going to talk about professional communication is key. And then, so I wanted to set us up by just mentioning that, but then I also wanted to set us up by how as therapists, kind of what we do. We are a service industry. You know, PDT, we are a service industry. We serve others. We ask others all day long and how we act, how we think, how we talk, what we do. You know, how can I help you? How can I help you? Sometimes literally we say that and then sometimes not so literal. But that's really what we're doing. How can I help you? And so in that concept, the therapy session and what we do all day is not about us. That goes for admin staff. That goes for therapists. What happens here at PDT all day long or for any therapist working anywhere is it's not about you. It's about the child and the family. And so I think that sort of a premise that we're operating under, too, that, you know, it's not about us, it's about this child. And so that theme is going to underline all three podcasts. As well as professionalism. Yes, (laughs) as well as professionalism. So let's get into the first one. Our first, what takes a therapist from being a good therapist to a great therapist is communication. There's several ways that therapists communicate. 
you know, and so, of course, there's some ways that you communicate and that you're just basically doing your job, but then how do you do your job and do it in a great way? So at PDT, we do personality testing with all of our employees and all of our staff. And so clearly from our podcasts, you should very well be able to hear the differences between Hayden and myself now. What? We have different personality <laughs> types? I did not know. No. Oh, my gosh. That's so <laughs> new information. At PDT, knowing that there's different personality types out there, that there's different ways that people take in information, not only do we have to be aware of our communication amongst our coworkers and also our teammates, but our parents, because we're communicating with them and our the kids that we're working with, we have to be in tune to those things. And Hayden and I talk a lot when we bring somebody in new and they do have their personality tests and we look at their strengths. Well, we go into healthcare because we want to help people. So throughout that decision to be in healthcare, to be in the service industry, to provide care to families and children, we have relationship type strengths. We have relator and building a relationship and developing and developing relationships. That's what we do. That's what we do all day long. But there are professional ways to do that. And there's definitely professional ways for us to communicate versus non-professional types of ways to communicate. So to be a great therapist, you recognize that level of professionalism and you always maintain it. So when we do our, one of the personality tests we do here are strengths finders. And so like Kirsty was talking about, developer actually is in my top five. So I like to see people develop and I like to see kids develop and get better. And I like to see others develop. I like to develop and that's something that floats my boat. But I don't need to babysit a child on the weekend to see them develop. I, as a speech therapist working with families, you know, I'm not going to cross that line of professionalism and jeopardize that professional relationship in my communication and in the way I'm going to help, for example, somebody develop. Well, and I think it's just boundaries because mm -hmm. you are a professional. So as a therapist, you are a professional and you need to keep professional boundaries. It's one of the reasons why we have the things that we do in place at PDT. So, you know, not using your personal cell phone to make a call to a patient. Number one, having a patient's phone number in your phone could potentially be a breach of their privacy yes. because now you have their personal contact information. They also now have your contact information. So now you have a boundary where Whereas, oh, it might just be a text asking about this, this, or this, but it's not during their service delivery. It's not during their care. So now is it documented? Did it really happen? Did you give advice? Did you document it? Mm -hmm. So all of this stuff starts to come into play when you're treating a child and you have to be very careful because you need to maintain that professional relationship. Again, we build relationships with people and families and sometimes some of the parents that we work with, you know, they don't get out to see another adult much. No. <laughs> and so you become the person that they talk to. But we're not there to counsel a parent. We're mm -hmm. not there to be their friend. We're there to help their child. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't mean you don't listen. Of course you listen. Of course Respectful. you're there to support the family, yes. Mm -hmm. But we have to know where our boundaries are as far as giving them advice for certain things. It needs to be about the child and that's where our focus is. So when we're talking about communication and professionalism, we're talking about how to maintain those boundaries. Because, you know, Hayden, you've made mistakes. I've made mistakes oh, yeah. in those. So we're here to tell people how not to. Right. To piggyback on what you were saying, sometimes when you cross that line, if you were, for example, give a therapist your personal cell phone number or call them on your personal cell phone number, then they start texting you back. What can happen is that not only for you can it cause a problem because you sort of crossed the line and now maybe things are 
not more of a patient therapist relationship, now more of a friend type of relationship, it could be a problem on your end when you may have to deliver a message that they may not love. Like, for example, you might have to say, hey, you've missed like your last three appointments and I can't help this little person get better if you're not going to be here. You know, that's a harder message to deliver and it gets more complicated versus if it's a still very professional therapist to patient and family kind of thing. And also on the other side, it can make it very difficult for a family to tell you honestly, hey, you're not really working on what I think is most important to work on with my child. So it can compromise that whole thing as well and make it so that you really can't do a great job with this child. So it can work both ways. It can work against you and that you can't sometimes maybe have a very frank professional discussion with people. And then maybe the patient now can't have a very frank professional conversation with you if that line gets blurred. So that's just for an example of professionalism and communication overall. So now what we wanted to do was talk about various ways that therapists communicate and that we're required to communicate with people involved in the continuum of care, you know, families, other providers, vendors, doctors, nurses, other referral sources, that kind of thing, teachers. We want to talk about that and how you can maintain some of the professionalism and also help a therapist who's doing a good job move to doing a great job. So we wanted to highlight some of those areas specifically. So when we're referencing back to professionalism and we're talking about being a good therapist, just to be a good therapist, and this will go back to our podcast on the five things we do as a therapist, the five things we document, those all have to be timely and accurate. And so just being a good therapist means you're doing your daily notes and they're on time. You're doing evaluations and they're on time. You're writing a home program Mm -hmm. and providing that to the family. So those three things that you're doing on an ongoing basis, on a daily basis, they have to be done in a timely manner. They have to be accurate. They have to reflect what was done. Well, that's just good. That's not great. It's good. It's required. Yes, it's good. And as an entry-level therapist, that's your goal. You just got to get them done. You got to do them. And you have to be proficient at actually doing them and get them done. Now you're past entry-level and you want to move on to great. So here we go. So an evaluation, and we've done some different things. I keep referencing old podcasts, but the Escape podcast that just came out. We've done a ton of podcasts, though, so there you go. We want to be thinking discharge as soon as we do an evaluation. So now your mindset is shifting. It's not like, oh, well, this child, I'm going to pick him up at three and see him until he's 18. It's, okay, what is the most important things I need to work on? Well, it's my job as a therapist to communicate with the family one, where the child's at, where the child needs to go, but really the family communicating back to me, what are my goals for my child? Mm-hmm. What are the child's goals for himself? So it becomes a two-way street. And we see a lot of times when new therapists come in, you know, they pick up their standardized testing. They're like, oh, well, they're not doing this, this, and this. Here's the goals I made. Here you go, mom. This is what we're going to work on. Right. They write the goals from the test. Yep. That's just not functional. So really a great eval is one where a therapist can, number one, write it quickly, meaning it doesn't take more than 30 minutes to write it up. And clearly in the evaluation, you see the quick history there so that you get a basic concept of what this child's medical history is. You don't need to know everything, just the basics. What the child can do, what the child has more difficulty with, and what are the goals, what are the plan? Because that's really a great eval. Then a doctor, a nurse, another therapist, a teacher, a teacher's assistant, a principal, anybody can pick that evaluation up and understand, okay, so this is the history. This is what the child can do, what the child can't do. This is what the therapist wants to do with this child. And this is why they want to do it. Or an insurance company for that matter. That's a great eval. And if you can do that in 30 minutes and that's really what the eval has in it, that's a great eval. That will meet the needs like they should be met. 
And it'll also get that child to receive services because yes. it should not take two weeks to write up an evaluation. Mm-hmm. Really? It should be done the same day. Right. I mean, in all reality, it should be done the same day because you saw that child that day. You should document what happened that day. I mean, I can't really remember what I did yesterday already. Like, Mm-mm. I'm focused on today. But that means, yeah, you're going to have to do a little bit of extra. You're going to have to put in a little bit more time to get that written up. You might have to stay a few minutes later to make sure your documentation is complete. But you're going to get faster over time and you're going to get more efficient and you're going to get better if you put in the work on the front end. So that helps to move you to that next category. That's a great level. And it basically communicates to everybody involved in the child's continuum of care. So the next thing that we talk about in our, actually in several different podcasts, but in one specifically where we talk about the uh, pieces of documentation that every therapist should do is the daily note. So in a daily note, a great therapist is able to write a daily note in three to five minutes tops. You know, pretty much most daily notes at this point are electronic. So type them up three to five minutes. It shouldn't take more than that. And the daily note should meet a couple of criteria. A great one does this. It meets the criteria for the insurance company. So whatever that is for your state and where you live. But it also tells what that child did that day and what the therapist did that day. And so basically you're reiterating every single therapy session why this child needs specialized therapies and why the family at home couldn't just do it. So you have to make sure you're clear on what you did and then based on what you did with that child, the child's response and how they did on the goal plan. And then also your billing and your coding should back up exactly what you did. And you should be able to do that in three to five minutes. That's a great daily note to be able to achieve those items that I just said. That's a great daily note. Yeah, it's not to be confused with, hey, your daily notes need to be done at the end of the day or Mm-mm. at the end of the week. I know some practices do at the end of the week, but a daily note is a daily note. Yes, they should be done, but they can't be cookie cutter either. So if you're just copying and pasting and carrying over from one note to the next, does that truly reflect what you did in that session? So your session should be unique because guess what? Every week you should be changing what you're giving as homework because that's why the family is coming into you. They are coming to see you because you're driving the bus where they want to go. Because remember in the evaluation, they helped write the goals because you listened to them and they communicated to you where it was they wanted their child to go. So in your daily note, it should be reflected then that, hey, here's what I gave for homework in the objective portion of the note, because that's what you gave. That's what you did as a therapist. That's why they came to you for your skilled input and your skilled advice. Here's what you're going to do for homework, and that should be changing every week. And that should be in every daily note because the expectation of a great therapist is you have communicated to that family how their child is going to get better a little bit at a time. And it tells the insurance company as well, you should be able to pull any of your daily notes from a six-month period and be able to see, okay, this is where we were, this is where we are, this is where, like, it should tell the story, basically. And it should justify, again, every single time you write the note, justify why this child needs therapy and how the specialized therapy is helping and making a difference in meeting those goals. Every single session, a daily note should do that. So you constantly are justifying the need for services and how they're helping every single daily note. So that's a great daily note. And again, three to five minutes tops. Five minutes is on the long side, three to five minutes. And you're utilizing your EMR system because pretty much most people have that nowadays. So that's a great daily note. Now, if we move on to a home program. Again, that's what's so critical in the child getting better. So we have parents that come and they stay in the waiting room and the therapist comes out and tells them what their child did. And for some kids, yes, I understand that that does need to happen. 
And a lot of times it's for our younger ones, our little ones. The parents want to be back there and be a part of the session. And, you know, when you're talking about an individual family service plan, the IFSP, it's expected that we're training the family of how to work with their child and what to do with their child. So when we're giving things for them to work on at home, it needs to be clear. It needs to be achievable and it needs to be noteworthy. So our notes are things that can be done, C-A-N. That's what we say here at PDT, C-A-N. And noteworthy in that the family can report back to you in the next session how the child did with the home program over the week so that you can modify your session that day or modify the home program or whatever it is. So it's so clear and so achievable that the family understands what they have to do. They do it and they can report it back to you. So when we're thinking about home exercise programs, I've seen therapists and it's good. Mm -hmm. It's good. You're giving families ideas of things to do at home. You're giving them packets of information. You're giving them materials and resources. That's good. That's good. It's not going to help the child ultimately. Well, and it doesn't really meet the goal for a home program. So to me, when I get a pack of information, these are more like options. Like I can read it, but I don't have to. A home program to me is more like do this. There really are no options too much in a home program. It's a, this is what he did today in therapy. I'm going to communicate that. And then here, here's what I want you to do specifically. And a home program to me is very straightforward. I want you to target these things because these things directly are going to carry over those goals to the home. It's not so much of a packet of info. Hayden, you say this a lot, but you say clarity is a gift. We are giving these families clarity, and Hayden knows I do this a lot, but I completely get involved. So I'm maintaining professional boundaries, but I am completely getting involved in every aspect of their daily routine. I'm like, when do you do this? What time of day do you do this? What? When do they go to the bathroom? When do they brush their teeth? Like, do you have an upstairs or downstairs? Like, where's the bathroom? All these questions to find out. My goal as a therapist is how can I implement this home program into stuff that they're all already doing. Because if I can implement it into what's already happening in their daily lives, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen naturally as opposed to something that's forced. If you're giving them a page of exercises and it says, do three sets of this, do five sets of this, and it's a list format with seven exercise on it, I can guarantee you when they come back next week, none of it happened. That's a great home program. That's a great therapist that writes that home program because it's functional. It's in the moment. It's involving everything that's involved in that child's life and their daily routine. And you just put it into practice and what typically goes on because what happens, the world doesn't stop. And so I think that's really important. A great therapist has got to think, okay, the world's not going to stop because this child has some type of situation. You know, we've got to help these children learn how to adapt or modify or whatever it is in the regular world. The world doesn't stop rotating or change for them. We have to help them work within the world. And so that's the key for the home program to make that work. So even if you're having a child work on, say, for example, R in the scheme of things, that's a pretty minor thing to work on. I mean, I'm not making light of R, but you can target that sound driving to and from school, you know, and you can do five words in the pickup line if you're waiting to pick up another sibling, you can do five words as you're doing that. You can do it when you're reading that night. And by the time the day is done, you've done like a hundred words. That's so much better than a list of 10 R words that are given to somebody on a piece of paper. So that's functional. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. That's a great home program. 
So another important thing in the concept of communication is the follow-up and the follow-through. Mm-hmm. So as therapists, we have to follow through with writing our evaluations, writing our daily notes, communicating with families, getting in touch with vendors, getting equipment. We as therapists, it's not email and done and put it on somebody else's plate. That's not what we do. And as therapists, we are not desk people. We don't have a desk job. No, we are right. on yeah. the go all the time. And so we see people, we see patients, we work with families. It's what we do all day long from the time we get into work until the time we go home. That is our job. That is what we do. In that, though, there's a lot of things that come up throughout the day. We work with people to try and handle situations or different needs in real time. So within that patient's therapy session, Mm -hmm. because going back to communicating professionally, if you've given that parent your phone number, now you're on call. We're not on call. We are therapists. We don't work in an ER. We are not an on-call person. If a parent has a question, they can hold it until their next therapy session. And I would encourage them to do that. If you think of anything in the next week, write it down and we'll talk about it on Monday. It can be done in a nice way. It's not coming across as mean or, you know, condescending or like, I don't care about you until next week. That's not what's happening here. But you're working with other children that deserve your same undivided attention that they just got for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. So in order to complete the actions that you need for different children and different families. And also because we don't just push it off on somebody else and say, oh, now it's your responsibility. I'm out. We have to follow up. That's our job. That's our role. So we need a way to keep up with that. And everybody's might look a little bit different, but at PDT, we have a way to do that. Yes. So I think every great therapist should be able to answer the question, what's your follow-up system? You should have for sure a follow-up system, whether it's electronic, whether it's paper, and sometimes different systems apply to different types of situations, but there should be a follow-up system that you're using and it's consistent for various potentially categories or things like that. Like I have a couple of different ones, but different things fit in different categories for me for how I follow up. So every therapist should have a follow-up system and a way to keep track of what to do. And that's from somebody who doesn't like a to-do list. So there you go. Because I don't love a to-do list, but I do like a follow-up system because how are you going to remember all that? So I tell people all the time, hey, let the computer be a computer. The computer takes data and it spits it back out. So it takes data in and it'll spit it back out at the time you tell it to if you put it on your calendar with a reminder and alarm. Since it does it, use it. And your phone is a computer that you have in your pocket, so use it too. But a great therapist has a follow-up system. They can answer that question and they use it so that they can be efficient and effective and follow up. And boy, it makes you look so smart. It really does. We've been talking about this for years, but email is a big part of technology these days. People Mm -hmm. email left and right, and really, it's just passing off your monkey. So a lot of times people email people lots of stuff when there's just no need in it. I've seen emails before with like, okay, uh, hey, get mom to sign this form. Okay, will do. Okay, I got mom to sign the form. Send in it right over. Okay, thanks so much for sending the form. Why? Just send the form. I think sometimes, too, when people are emailing, their hands are out of it now. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, I sent it to so-and-so, so so now it's their responsibility. And, again, we personality test. Responsibility is high up for me. It's high up for Hayden. It's number one. Yeah. There's a dark side to that. We're we're big on responsibility, (laughs) and it means we we carry a lot. But we do expect when you're moving from being a good therapist to a great therapist that you are responsible for that. It is your patient, your stuff. PDT's patient population is still a high responsibility of getting their stuff done and getting their follow-up and follow-through on all the items that need to be done for this child's care. So it doesn't need to be emailed back and forth. There are many more times where a phone call is far more important to just 
just knock it out, all of it, and everybody leaves the conversation clear. Okay, you're doing this part, I'm doing this part, let's follow back around next week. Right. That is going to be far more clear than three weeks of back and forth emails and then nobody's clear on what's happening. Yeah, sometimes an email is not clear. Sometimes I'll, after a phone call, I may send a follow-up email to say, just a reminder, we talked about that, that, and that, so that if there were several things we hit in that one phone conversation, you know, so I want to make sure we were clear on all the points, but it's not like the first contact. It's just a reminder. Really, it just sets me up for the next phone call so I don't forget anything, honestly, because I'll cut and paste and put that thing where I have the reminder for the phone call. But anyway, so clarity is key. Clarity is kindness. Don't email when a phone call can get it all done and everybody leaves understanding what they're supposed to do and it takes away from like 45 million emails and have a follow-up system because a follow-up system allows you to be clear in terms of when you've got to get something done. It also puts it in a place so that you don't have to hold on to it and you can put it there and then it'll pop up on your computer and remind you that you got to get it done. So clarity is key in terms of greatness for a therapist. So to wrap up this podcast, this is part one of a three-part series, Good to Great, How to Move from a Good Therapist to a Great Therapist. And again, it stems from, this is a question that Kirsty and I get frequently when we're doing interviews. And so the first is communication and how to be professional, how to be clear, how to follow up, and also to sort of think about what you're doing as related to the main types of communication we do as therapists, home programs, daily notes, evaluations. So how to move those from a good level to a great level. So thanks so much, Kirstie, again, for all your insight with that. Thank you. You're welcome. And so check out the next two podcasts where Kirstie and I expand more on good to great. And we talk about adaptability and attitude and work ethic. So tune in for those. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 